The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for Loren McNabb and Brett McGarry. It is The Start On Demand. On today's episode, we're going to talk about celebrations. The United States women's soccer team beat Thailand 13 to nothing at the Women's World Cup yesterday. They were celebrating every goal like they were winning the World Cup. How appropriate is that? We'll discuss daddy shaming Father's Day coming up. But it feels as though dads are still being portrayed as sort of these fumbling, bumbling characters. And it's a major accomplishment if we manage to change a baby's diaper. We will have a discussion about that. And photo radar. Ah, yes, everybody's favorite. Photo radar in the school zones. It's the podcast. It's called The Start On Demand. And let's get right down to business. There's hypocrisy everywhere you look. And I don't know if the word is hypocrisy, but let me tell you, there is a lot of controversy surrounding the United States 13-0 win over Thailand. It's a record-breaking achievement by the Americans in the in the Women's World Cup. But uh, Cam Poitras, why don't we start with you? Lots of people feeling as though the American women went way over the line in terms of their celebrations when they got to seven, eight, yeah. nine, nothing. Des- so they se- like describe what happened. I didn't see the game. They so won what were thirteen they doing? nothing. Well, uh, no, I know. But then what were they? So- the first half was only three. It was just three nothing in the first half, okay. and then they went and scored ten goals in the second half. Um, completely outmatched Thailand. I mean, it, it's one of those teams that's just happy to be there. Do you know what I mean? But I, I think it really crossed a line when um, uh, uh, the forward there for the United States, Megan Rapinoe, uh, with her pink hair there, uh, decided that uh, she was going to, after scoring uh, the goal to go up 9 nothing, she was going to slide into her bench, kick her feet out, you know, doing spins and stuff like that. Like it's uh, like it's uh, some sort of, um, like, like, they, like she's just conquered the world. Uh, it's it's nine nothing. You know, have a little bit of humility. I mean, you put yourself in the shoes of the other team. I understand that this is uh, this is sports and and it's it, this is competition and stuff like that. But it, it, it ceases to be a competition when when it gets down to nine nothing. At uh, five nothing. At yeah. three nothing. You know this is a foregone well, conclusion. Do they not have a mercy rule or something like that? Well, they should. <laughs> but, but there's probably a rule in terms of some tournaments, right? It's about the number of goals you get. Yes. So there's so sometimes you have to keep going. Keep because scoring that's how you goals. Get, just yeah. don't be a jerk right. no, about that's it. What exactly. I'm trying to say. Shouldn't that light of fire underneath the, the other team's took us? <laughs> well, no, they, they, they were way overmatched. No, this was not chance. happening. Uh, the, the U.S. beat Thailand in a, what they call a friendly 9 nothing. Just... Uh, in the last 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. Like, this was never going to be close. No. I just, I would, and there are some, people are using the sexism conversation. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I would be no. angry at whoever was doing this. And there's no rules about hot-dogging or whatever? Like, don't the NFL guys get in trouble if they, they screw up the celebration? And yeah, that sort if you of thing? use props now, they, they've kind of eased off a little bit. NFL for a lot of people stands for the no fun league because they had (laughs) rules about celebrations and, and, and they didn't were, they were trying to deter those things. I have been at my kids like sporting events and say they get uh, their team gets up by four or five goals. They stop at a young age. They stop showing it on the scoreboard. Like somebody is Mm -hmm. still counting it in the clock, which is kind of foolish because kids always know they're not dumb. They know they're losing 18, nothing or that they're winning 18, nothing. But, but what they do do, and I, even myself won't, won't cheer as hard. Like I'll do like a little clap, but I'm not 
freaking out because it feels mean. And the coaches, are, like from a very young age, coaches told all of us, I think, take it easy. Like, yeah. We're, up, we're up to end nothing. Be good sportsmanship. There, yeah. There's a saying in sports, act like you've been there. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and I don't know. I just, I, I didn't dig it at all. Although contrary to your idea of kids always knowing the score, last night at baseball, my boys were up 9-2, I think, after two innings. And one of the kids asked his dad, who was doing the scorekeeping, uh, what's the score, dad? Uh, it's 9-2. Uh, for them or for us? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was so refreshing. Like, are, are, you the same game? are you playing? Yeah. <laughs> pay, pay attention, son. <laughs> I'm Greg Mackling. She's Loren McNabb. Brett McGarry will be back in the pilot seat tomorrow morning. We're looking forward to having him back. Absolutely. If he'll come back. It sounds like he's had a pretty come good, back after good a week vacation. Off. Yeah. Looking Ch- forward to the stories of his travels. Wow. We were telling stories and talking about uh, the United States running up the score on Thailand and them celebrating in the Women's World Cup yesterday. Got a cool text message from Trev, if I may read it to you. I used to coach youth football. If we would ever get into a big lead, we would put kids who wouldn't usually ever carry the ball into positions to carry it. One time we did everything we could to get one kid to score a touchdown. When we finally did, our whole team celebrated. But I believe the other coach understood what was happening. It wasn't about running up a score. It was about building the team and creating memories. Mm-hmm. And in that case, in that instance, I think the other team does get it. They do understand I don't know if the kids always get that. Like well, We've done that before, too. But I think for the most part, people understand um, the idea of creating that that feeling that the whole team is winning and that's yes. what you want to be doing then, mm-hmm. right? Giving that kid that feeling. Kids, what, have, kids have to learn to lose too. And especially at the very beginning of sports, there's that focus, that there's not an understanding that the assist is super important or the pass is important or the block in football is important. And so that touchdown or that goal becomes really crucial when you're seven or eight years old. That's the only way you feel like you contributed until you understand the whole system of sports. So that's kind of nice that he did that, I think. I agree with you. Uh, Daddy shaming. We'll talk about that later on this morning. 50% of dads say they've been criticized either from ads, TV shows. Fathers are still portrayed as the dum-dums. We'll we'll discuss that and the effect it's having as we move towards Father's Day. And we've got all sorts of giveaways as well, including that uh, outstanding as we build towards Friday, as we have that $500 gift certificate to detail the dad mobile. That's from Ming Auto Beauty. Beauty and Protection today. We have a $50 gift certificate from Ming Auto Beauty and Protection Center. So, Loren, you and I have had a couple of conversations the last several days about photo radar mm-hmm. in our city. And there's this, I, I want to admit in this conversation Uh-oh. that I got a photo radar ticket in this intersection that you're now talking about. But this this chat is not prompted by me. It's not. I had just said, oh, I, I, I got this ticket and you said, where? And I said, um, you can I don't, say it. I'm just trying to remember where I was going. I was going back downtown to get to the Global TV studios, and I like to take Ellis or St. Matthews. And uh, and I know there's a school zone there, and my route has always been to turn north before I get to that school zone because I, I not because I I knew that there was photo radar, but because uh, it's usually around the lunch hour and the slowing down, and so I go a different way. And I got a ticket for going 40 in the 30. And then you said, "You idiot! That van is there." 
I don't think you called me an idiot, but your eyes did. That van is there all the time. And it is there all the time. I think it's there every single day. We're talking about at Burnell and St. Matthew's Greenway School. The school is way set back from the from the St. Matthew's Avenue. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole schoolyard is uh, probably 100 yards or more. The school is way set back because they replaced the original Greenway School, which sat where the playground is now, yes. closer to St. Matthew's but Avenue still years kids ago. Crossing there there and, are, yeah. and there's signs and everything. For but sure. here's my point, and I, this is what I tweeted out on Friday. Tell me again how it's all about safety. Every single time I come through this part of the city, the photo radar van is present. And all I did was to take a a picture from Google Maps of the intersection I was talking about. That tells me enough people are breaking the law that there needs to be some improvements made to the environment or signage here. If you can justify having photo radar in one location every single day, and I've seen it there on holidays. I've seen it there during vacation times. It is always there. It tells me that far too many people are speeding Mm -hmm. and that we need to acknowledge that perhaps other changes need to be made. The city and the province are always telling us this is about improving safety. And let me preface my next comments by saying I'm someone who's in favor of the 30 kilometer an hour zones for the very reason you pointed out is the fact that a lot of people have altered their routes. They don't even use school zones. They're going, okay, maybe I should be using a more a better relevant yeah. com- I, commuter route, right? Which is what it's intended for. And I want to be clear. I'm going to pay this ticket. And I have. I don't have a problem with it because I, I, clear, I did something wrong that I wasn't supposed to do. I didn't think I was in the zone. I thought I had turned beforehand. But regardless, that's the law. I'm not complaining about that. But, I, but when you raised this point to me, I was like, oh, I never stopped. I didn't know, mm-hmm. first of all, that that was the case. But, but when you talk about you add up, say, the hours an officer might spend there, what that is in their salary, then the cost of the ticketing system. And yes, there's revenue that's coming back to them on that. But if the argument is safety, is there money that might be better spent rather than having that officer there for that period of time? So I don't think it's a police officer. It's, it's somebody that operates the van. Sorry, so, so regardless, so there's still manpower. They might not get paid the same. I 100%. see what you're saying. Okay. So uh, my proposal would be this. Take all or take half of the money and build raised crosswalks. Install flashing lights on the signage, anything. If it's about keeping kids safe and there are enough people speeding through this school zone, clearly there are kids in danger. Practice what you preach because someone like me who is in favor of this law is frustrated. This is no way to go about building public sentiment for something that is potentially doing some good because people who are on the fence about it are saying this is about revenue, this isn't about safety. You need to walk the walk on this. Or how would you feel about a permanent camera camera there that had the signage like other photo radar cameras so that people knew that that was there and because those encourage me to slow down when I know that there's a camera in the area. Like when well, that I, would be a start. But as I've been asking my kids, as I talk to them about working towards uh, their age of when they're going to be getting their beginners and their driver's license, do you want to be that person that doesn't run a red light because they might get a ticket? Or do you want to be that person that doesn't run a red light because it's the right and safe thing to do? I w- you're right. I want to be the second person. I want to be a person who says, I'm driving better because we need to, I care we need about to each do other? better for our children.
we're talking about Father's Day coming up on Sunday and all the ways we want to celebrate the dads or the dad figures or or people in our life that we feel have mentored us like fathers. And that's an, that's a big deal for a lot of us. But there's a study out today that surveyed fathers about criticism and how they feel they've been judged harshly as parents. And the survey, which was done by the C.S. Mott Children's Hospital in Michigan concluded that 52%, so just over half, say they receive regular negative feedback about their parenting style, although the good news is 90% of them thought they were still doing a good job. So we got us talking about the idea of the equal roles we're trying to create out there when it comes to parenting and not having what's traditionally been too much work for the mom uh, or perceived too much work for the mom and, and where dad fits into that conversation. And then on the flip side, hearing the the thought that dads are criticized for a lot of things too and feel some sort of daddy shame. Even when they're trying to do the right thing. Or even mocked, I think, sometimes, no right? Question. Like a lot of our pop culture, our television shows, the role of the dad is still like, oh, dad. We couldn't expect any more of you. Right. Here's an example from a Huggies commercial. This goes back to about 2013. To prove Huggies diapers and wipes can handle anything, we put them to the toughest test imaginable. Dads, alone with their babies, in one house for five days. Five days alone? With their own babies, their own children. You didn't. Now, I get you You wanted to preface that, that it was a commercial from uh, a few years ago. But I watched an episode of Modern Family the other day, and there was the whole, Phil, you didn't. Why would you do that? Like, you know, is this your first time parenting? So there's lots of shows and sitcoms that paint the idea of, like, dad's in charge. Ooh, pizza night. Or, yeah, it's a or free for all. video game night. Or it's a free-for-all. Or, or you are going to come home to the messy house because... That's just how dad's parent. And then mom's going to have to clean it all. Not only was the house messy enough to begin with, but they spent two whole hours, the kids did, with their father. And, well, the house is, of course, going to be upside down within that two hours. There's no chance you're going home to the dishes all done, the vacuuming completed, homework finished, and the the laundry started, folded, and uh, maybe even put away, although in my house, Getting laundry put away is probably the biggest challenge we have as a family. We're pretty good at it's putting in the It's my most hated chore. Oh, I, it's, the it's, worst. it's the worst. So I hear you. So, but I did want to ask dads out there how they feel about this. And if they, if they feel in this world where we try to create, we're working so hard to say you need to do more as dads or less, depending on your circumstance, or that we need to change by doing more. We don't mean do more. We mean find the balance of what's happening at home and and work on that, right? That's been a conversation ongoing for a lot of time as women work to become equal in the workforce and with salaries and with the gender pay gap and all the rest. On the other hand, I I, I do want to know if dads out there are feeling like, well, it's still this idea like dad can do that or dad, dad's babysitting tonight. Well, no, you're not babysitting. You're taking care of your own children. I think that there is uh, less of this outward pressure. I think this has come organically. Mm-hmm. I think this has come from an awakening of, of men in general that they want to be involved more in their children's lives, either because their own dads maybe weren't as involved in their lives that they'd like them to be. And so they wanted to parent differently from their fathers or maybe their grandparents' generation. Uh, certainly in terms of my grandparents' generation, it was the kids should be seen and, and not heard generation. Although my grandfather, you know, 
know, eventually came around to the idea of mentoring me and spending time with me. And my dad was always at our sports games doing everything that he could. My mom worked eventually. She she didn't work as full time always as my dad. But those traditional roles, I think men have out of necessity and out of desire found themselves in those roles. Mm-hmm. I know... Uh, I'm not even going to mention the email that I got because it'll take us off a, a different path. But uh, life dealt us an unusual turn when uh, the boys were had just turned two years old. I guess it actually was uh, they just turned three, and things kind of went sideways in terms of the traditional roles in our house, and we just went with the flow. Mm-hmm. There was no consternation about it. There was no, oh, right. do you and think so you Greg could Greg handle that? Yeah. No, and and uh, I, but I think twenty years ago there might have been that discussion and that sideways look. Um, really, you're going to give that a try? So I think we've we've become better at that. It's become apparent to me that more men want to be involved in sure. their children's lives. And I think the system, if anything, federal government in terms of parental leave has started to catch up. You can split your maternity leave in different ways. It's not just the mom that gets maternity leave. There's a different way for you to split up those benefits depending on the situation that you're in. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's good for kids. It's good for moms. It's good for dads. The, the study, to be clear, that was done by this hospital, they did one about mom shaming as well. So they've done the same amount of studies. They did one about mom shaming a few years ago, and so they thought they should do an equal one for dads. It found that they received criticism on how they discipline their kids or the food they feed them or, you know, all the rest. And I think, I'm trying to find the percentage, 40% of the criticism that men received was from their whoever they were co-parenting with. Oh, really? So their spouse or their partner, which is no surprise. I, I don't know. I'm trying to find the study that was done for the moms. I don't I don't know if the moms receive as much criticism from their partner as the dads would receive from theirs. I for sure am guilty of coming home and seeing, you know, when the kids were little and the supper was, you know, back when the kids would need anything and there'd be like a cracker, some cheese, <laughs> and some cut up tomatoes. And I'd be like, so... This is supper? He's like, that's a vegetable? <laughs> That's dairy. That's wheat. I don't really know. And then the, and the, and the kids are great and they're super healthy. And, and he's not wrong, right? And so this whole idea that it has to be perfect or exactly as I, I thought it should be is is I know for sure I criticized that. And I and I would be furious if the role was reversed and he walked in and said, this is for supper, right? So I, I it's a conversation worth having. But man, women, I, I still, I, I mean, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, what I'm about to say because I've, I'm not a man or a dad, but I am a mom and a woman, and I do still think the criticism leveled or levied at the female parent in the relationship is probably still way harsher. Hey, uh, we've been telling you news all morning, and actually since yesterday afternoon, the province has released the recommendations of the Planning, Zoning, and Permitting Review in Manitoba, which outline ways in which processes can be improved to enable the Manitoba economy to flourish. This release follows the province soliciting feedback from all Manitobans on the draft findings, including a constructive response from the city of Winnipeg, providing input on the city's desired recommendations. This is all part and parcel of, you know, a couple months ago, we shared that video on globalnews.ca, cjob.com, of undercover 
Like a private eye. A private eye, basically. It was a yep. consultant group that went in and t- took a look at city inspectors and what they're doing. And that had all sorts of people just talking about delayed processes, how long it takes to get permits to build things, the impact that has on the bottom line, whether you're a business or you're just someone trying to build something in your backyard and the stress you have to get that done. And so some of the highlights from this report and the recommendations is they want a working group to come together uh, and come up with some better ideas. They want... St- province-wide standards for timelines, and they also just want to take a better look at how they can get business done so it can be better for the overall community. Lauren Remy- Lauren Remillard is the president, and I always want to say Loren, and I apologize, Lauren. I'm sorry. Every time I, every time I see the name, I'm like, why does he say it like this? Oh, he's got it wrong. He's got it wrong, but he does. I think he has it right on this topic. He's the CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, president as well. Lauren, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. So where do we take this from here in your mind when it talks about, you know, reports can come out, they can have all sorts of recommendations. What's the number one thing you need, you think needs to get done so we can help better the process here? There are uh, what we call some uh, low-lying fruit that we feel the province and the city could move on quickly. In particular, adopting the 2015 National Building Code, which seems weird to say adopt a code that's already four years old, but the fact is, uh, you know, Every five years, they update it. So let's at least get to the one that is currently being used across the country as well, uh, improving inspection consistency, enacting service standards. That's, that's really critical for business. Business needs to know what is the standard, what is my expectation from the moment I submit an application for a permit to when I can expect to have it. Oh, this is the standard. It's 10 days they can then plan around that, and then they can also gauge as to how effective the process is. Call it uh, a canary in the coal mine. If it's past 10 days and that's the service standard, why is that? Is there something wrong with the process? Is there something wrong with the application? Those are some examples definitely of low-lying fruit we feel can be moved on right away. Lauren, there's some people who are uncomfortable with the idea or the notion of their of their city or their province operating like a business, but I think this is one area where people would say, hey, you are working hand-in-hand with business development. There's multi-million dollar projects. There's my uh, $1,000 shed that I need to get up Mm -hmm. so people don't steal my bike and my lawnmower and everything in between. I think this is one area where people would say, hey, we'd like you to have that standard, that expectation of when I can have this done. Is it any different than the expectation people have around healthcare, where we have wait times to gauge how long we're sitting in emergency rooms? Same idea here. These are multi-million, sometimes billion-dollar projects, and we need to have a standard to say, what is my expectation, and how are we performing against that expectation? Uh, You know, when people say government shouldn't operate like business, I I, I don't really understand that pushback. Uh, When we say you need to operate like business, we talk about being efficient, effective, and responsive to your customers. We would hope that taxpayers would expect that of their government. You know, for a lot of people out there who may have not been through this process, they might be sitting there listening and thinking like, I don't know, does this impact me? What's, what's the overall impact of a slow, heavily, heavy red tape system that doesn't allow us to get some of our projects up and running for, for the everyday Manitoban? Yeah, the, the initial report, the preliminary, preliminary findings did indicate try to monetize, you know, millions of dollars lost in, in opportunities per day for government revenue. The real loss is the economic opportunities that are either delayed or will not come to Manitoba and Winnipeg in particular. You know, 
governments and business, we love to cut uh, ribbons and celebrate when a new office, a new plant is built here in our, our community. And we'll go to great lengths to, to let the public know that. On the flip side, though, business does not send out a press release saying we've decided not to invest in Winnipeg or Manitoba because of red tape. They just quietly decide to invest in other jurisdictions. So we are losing opportunities through red tape across all levels of government in every department. So this report really is trying to say we recognize we need to be more responsive to business so that we can fully capture the opportunities that we're out there attracting. Lauren Remillard is the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce. And Lauren, before we let you run as quickly as you can, this is a kind of a, a big thing in my mind, Potent, potential provincial vetoes or interference uh, in terms of decisions made within the city of Winnipeg. Any concern there for you? Yeah, lots of concerns. We don't think it's appropriate for the province to dictate land use decision for the city of Winnipeg. It's the equivalent of you in your backyard planning out, you know, I'm going to move the shed to this corner. I'm going to plant flowers there. I'm going to lay down some patio stones. And then your neighbor walks over and goes, I don't like any of it. You can't do any of it. You wouldn't like that, and this is effectively a situation where the neighbor's the province and you, the homeowner, are the city of Winnipeg. It's not right. We believe they need a planning commission for the city of Winnipeg that would ultimately, uh, council still remains supreme in all decision-making. That's the model we've put forward to the city and the province. We think it's a better one, and it respects the city's jurisdiction. Uh, Quickly, is this where there'll be pushback then in terms of making sure that 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 recommendation is not approved or or done? Well, we'll continue to talk to the province and the city. Uh, I don't think anything's a fait accompli, but uh, definitely it was a recommendation that caused us some concern, and uh, we'll be making that known to the various uh, levels of government. Well, I hope you'll uh, let your concerns uh, be known to us and and the progress that's being made on that front, Lauren. We always uh, appreciate your time and your input on conversations just like this one. Thanks for the work you do. Thank you. Loren, we've been talking about dads, the role that they play. It's changed, it's shifted over the years, but one thing's been a constant. There's still kind of a less than uh, trust level, high trust level with certain people when it comes to what dads are capable of. Well, that's very true. And there was a, a study out today talking about half of fathers say they face criticism about their parenting choices. On the other hand, you have people striving for that equal balance in a marriage or in a parenting uh, lifestyle and how you're trying to achieve that. And then I came across this post on Facebook uh, from a guy we've had in quite often talking about different parenting things and fertility issues and all the rest. And one of his posts just caught my eye. He said, quote, posts like this sicken me. I see ads for products like this from time to time, and it makes me sick. The notion that it's okay to make fun of dads and perpetuate the idea that men don't know how to take care of kids is offensive. Attached to it is a picture of a onesie. It's a gift being offered potentially for Father's Day coming up Sunday, and it has the slogan, you can do this, dad. And then it has arrows showing where the head goes, where the arms go, where the feet goes. So John Waldman is the father behind this post and joins us this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning. So you use the term, it sickens you. How come? Because, quite frankly, this is the kind of thing that really should not be out there. When, you, when you're trying to talk about things like the um, like equal parenting, you're trying to create this balance, 
to have things go go like this that are a obvious and b um, you know just just like downputting it, it it really puts a major hamper on that and it makes uh, the feeling that comes out is that yeah dads don't know what they're doing and that you know can you really trust them with your kids is even something as simple as putting a onesie on a baby I mean in theory it's tongue in cheek it's supposed to be a joke and but you're saying not funny. Yeah, I think that that if you looked at it um, through different eyes, um, that that it would that uh, it would be it would be seen completely differently, or if the or if the roles were reversed or something like that. I think you, I think that there's a difference between somebody who is um, putting something up as a gag or something putting out a gag gift, but something like this, where especially when you're, as you described before, that you're in a time where, where fathers are feeling um, a certain amount of inadequacy already and when you're trying to, to do things to positively change how parenting is done, um, you know, this does, something like this doesn't help. It, it's There's a difference between a, a gag and there's a difference between um, something like the uh, the Facebook channel How to Dad where there's a gent from Australia who shows his uh, DIY methods of parenting um, in a humorous way versus something like this, which is just, which is a product that really doesn't show any kind of humor towards it. John, do you think this is an overall societal thing where you have a lack of respect for people and the roles that they play and what we deal with, uh, regardless of whether you're a public employee, a professional athlete, uh, your political opinions? Uh, we have a general maybe lack of respect for one another overall. Does that come out of this or is it more specific in your mind with regard to uh, parents and, and, and men who are are trying to fulfill a larger role in their kids' lives? I think that there's a mix of both. I mean, certainly, and this is sort of what has become epidemic when you're looking at social media as a whole and you are you have things like the hashtags, you only had one job or something like that. Um, and, and unfortunately, in, in uh, with Facebook, with Instagram, with Twitter um, exploding as they have and it's becoming part of our daily lives, it's so easy to access a lot of this information. Um, and unfortunately, what it does is that it perpetuates these stereotypes. And for anybody who is already feeling inadequate or questioning whether what they're doing is proper or whether they're doing their quote-unquote job or their uh, daily lives properly, it, it starts to it, – it, you can't help that, it's, that it starts to weigh on your mind and makes you sort of second-guess yourself. I'd like you to react to a listener text you received on this topic, John. And they wrote, here's the difference. When dads, quote, fail, it's laughed off. When moms fail, we shame and guilt them. I'd also like to point out that dads get disproportionate praise for doing menial parenting tasks like going shopping with the kids. This is equally damaging to men because it unduly praises expected parenting practices. What are your thoughts with something like that? I 100% agree with the second part. And... You know, the, the best example that I can give is um, I, when my daughter was around one, I was taking her uh, to McDonald's uh, just to just on a morning outing, um, just for us to have some bonding time, uh, just went out with a stroller, went, went for a walk. Uh, when we got to McDonald's, we, um, we sat down, we were having a little bit of breakfast. Um, an older woman came up to me and said, oh, it's good, so good to see you babysitting your kid. No, it's not babysitting. This is fathering. This is what parents do, whether regardless of gender. Um, and then when you when you look at things like whether whether it's it's the it, these are what are what the normal things should be. Um, and when you, and if you want to encourage that thing that, and if you want to uh, evolve from where 
times were in previous generations. Comments like that and the and notions like this certainly don't help it. Well, I think we're making some strong advances and and lengthy strides in terms of the health of our relationships with our kids as dads. John, thanks for uh, for reminding us uh, that every once in a while uh, we've got uh, some ways to go. Appreciate it, my man. My pleasure. John Waldman, he is, uh, as you say, Loren, we've joined him or had him join us well, in the past on a variety of things. Author. That is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> he's also an author and uh, clearly very well spoken. We've got a new report out today that says the average home price in Manitoba is 12% more expensive than what is affordable for younger Canadians. So this is a report by Generation Squeeze, and it shows that Manitobans between the ages of 25 and 34 are struggling to straddle that gap between housing prices that remain at historic levels and their average earnings for this age group. So one of the pieces of information that they had was that the average home price in Manitoba would need to fall, drop, $34,000 or 12%, for someone aged 25 to 34 to be able to afford an 80% mortgage at current interest rates. This is again from the Generation Squeeze organization, and Dr. Paul Kershaw is the leading author of Straddling the Gap, a troubling portrait of home prices, earnings, and affordability for younger Canadians. Dr. Kershaw, how are you this morning? I'm well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you know, it's an interesting, fascinating topic. Uh, Dr. Kershaw, are you on speakerphone by any chance? I'm on my cell phone. Okay, perfect. We just want to hear you. You have so many great things to say. We want to be able to hear you clearly. Uh, The topic of conversation, investing in real estate, uh, owning real estate, when to get in the market, when to get out, is something I think we all think about and talk about. But this whole idea of generations being squeezed out of uh, the current housing market is something that we can't ignore. Where did this come from? Did this sneak up on us? Well, it may be sneaking up on folks in Manitoba, but the report was written in no small part because a broader conversation in Canada has been talking about how home prices have been leaving earnings behind, especially in Ontario and British Columbia. And recently, uh, as a result of some changes made at uh, some provincial government levels and at the federal level with the new national housing strategy, we've seen home prices level off. And this has led some in the real estate industry to suggest, oh, well, we need to reignite housing prices. We need to get the market jumping again at historic rates of profitability. And our report is saying, whoa, 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 Um, we need to be way more careful than that because across the country, a massive gap has grown between home prices and earnings. We would need to see uh, young people's earnings double on average in Canada or home prices drop by half. And in Manitoba, where the problem hasn't grown as great, we've nevertheless seen your province transition into a level of unaffordability that we don't want to see get any worse. And that's why we're calling on all federal parties as they're heading into the next federal election to include in their platforms measures to commit to another phase of the national housing strategy so that we prevent the unaffordability problem from creeping into Manitoba and other provinces where it hasn't taken a strong foothold yet. Do we have the actual math or or have we done it, Paul, where we would be able to say what, uh, say, a millennial or a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old would try to buy today versus what they could have bought on the same salary 30, 40, 50 years ago just doesn't add up and that it really is, in fact, harder for someone who's young this this day and age to afford a home than it would have been even 15, 20 years ago? 
Yeah, well, I often like to compare it to when today's aging population was starting out. And that was about four decades ago when baby boomers were young adults like young people are today. And so back then, it would have taken in Manitoba four years of full-time work for a typical young adult to save a 20% down payment on an average-priced home. But if you flash forward to today, it now takes that same young adult about eight years of full-time work to save the 20% down payment. So that's four years of lost full-time work uh, just to go towards saving the down payment. And then we would need to see a young person's earnings today grow by about $6,500 a year. Uh, That's about 13% in Manitoba. And if it were to do that, then today's home prices would be back in reach. And so I guess what we're looking for in Manitoba is for home prices to level out where they are at the very least right now to allow over the next decade earnings to catch up. And the good news for Manitoba is that the trend in wages over the last decade suggests that young people's earnings over the next could gain that $6,500 a year and bring affordability back into reach. Okay, so I'm a huge proponent of home ownership. I invest in real estate myself, so maybe I'm part of the problem. So for that, I will apologize somewhat. Uh, but the writing's been on the wall for a long time. You're not going to get rich working for somebody else. you got to take care of yourself, take care of your family in unique ways. But I think the number one way you can do that is by buying a home. Here's my question. Are the expectations of young people today a, a little bit more than they ought to be in terms of what sort of house they consider a starter home? I don't think that's the case uh, generally. And in fact, oftentimes in our urban centers across the country, we're seeing a younger demographic be content to spend considerably more for home ownership to buy way less than people did some decades ago. So you often have people buying into condos where they have not enough bedrooms to have their, you know, kids have separate bedrooms and they're lived in using balconies to send their kids out to play rather than having access to the ground. Uh, so no, I think in general, young folks, attitudes in Canadians have been scaling down their expectations. But I'd really like to pick up on your your observation about how we go about making good investments and saving for our future in the uh, in, to retirement. And I think historically, Canadians have wanted two things from housing, and we could only have one of them if we want affordability to remain in, remain in reach. On the one hand, we've wanted housing as homes. And on the other hand, we've wanted housing to be the top performer in our investment portfolio. We literally cannot have both. We've tried that for one generation, yeah. and it's worked really well for them, but it's also meant that those who follow in their footsteps now have to work so much harder to try and get into the housing market, and their comp- consolation prize is rising rents. And so we need to commit to this idea that um, housing should be homes first. Housing's got to be a place to call home and not necessarily a place to get rich, and certainly not a place to launder money, as we see it in lots of parts of the country. Oh, boy. And not a and not a place to say, hey, my neighborhood's, you know, it's, it's what my way to protect the neighborhood from ever changing. It's like my private fiefdom. We need to recognize that we have a substantial challenge. Uh, unaffordability has crept not, you know, from BC and Ontario into places like Manitoba. And our goal has to be to not let it go any further. Well, I, I'd want to jump in here, Loren, because I, I think in in jurisdictions like Manitoba in particular, where we've had an issue without migration, one of the best ways to encourage people and to maybe ensure a higher population percentage stays in Manitoba is for them to own a property. If you're renting, you're highly mobile. If you own a home, you're going to think twice before taking that job in Toronto and Ottawa and Vancouver. 
I think that's a really great observation. If I were in Manitoba right now, and for that matter, also Saskatchewan and Atlantic Canada, uh, I would be going and developing advertising campaigns in Ontario and BC and saying, your hard work will pay off more in Manitoba. You can get by for less work to get into homeownership. You can have more free time. You can have way less debt and far more financial security, even if you don't have as good a paying job. And so it's really important right now in those provinces uh, where we have smaller parts of the population. Like if you had Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Atlanta, Canada, that's less than 10% of Canada's population. And so we want to be attracting, I think, more young people to our, our those provinces because that is a great way to renew that economic uh, growth in those communities. We're going to have to leave it there. Thanks for this, Paul. My pleasure. Have a great day. Dr. Paul Kershaw, lead author of Straddling the Gap, a troubling portrait of home prices, earnings, and affordability for younger Canadians. Heh, lots of stress about there. Well, uh, well, or expectations. Maybe we also need to we want to do something about the housing prices. We need to do something about our earnings. Yep. But maybe we have to change our expectations too. Lots of conversations to be had out of that one report. I'm looking at uh, global television right now, Wednesday, oh, August yeah. 7th. Yeah, yeah. It's, we, uh, there's been a hilarious, uh, you, you know, you were in Croatia, I think. We ran this, their first promo was so funny. It just had all, it was a teaser. Yes. Using the, uh, and it was, it was, it was exciting. You know who I really like and who I didn't really like in the show is Brian Austin Green. And you like him now? Yeah, he's kind of grown on me. Has your yep. love for, yep. um. Luke Perry? Uh, yes, unfortunately, the but uh, the woman who was 47 playing the role of a 17-year-old. Not changed. Okay, she wasn't 47, but she felt like it. Yes. Crank that up, Jeff. G- Gutierrez, what was her name? Gabrielle. Gabrielle. Gutierrez, something like that? Mm-hmm. Who did she play? Andrea. Andrea. Andrea, Andrea Zuckerman. Oh, yeah. No. It wasn't yeah. a fan. It was not a fan. You know what? Great show. I got the thumbs up for the Brian Austin Green reference from uh, Jeff Braun. You, on his he way would. The well, you don't like him? I don't know. Better than I Zering <laughs> and the Sharknado. He's done well with those well, Sharknados. Let's ask our next guest her thoughts on 90210. Sure. Let's do it. Michelle Lissell. <laughs> Michelle Lissell of Valor FC. You had to know that was coming. Are oh, you in or are you out? For it. <laughs> in or out? Uh, oh, I'm totally in. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And your favorite character was? Uh, oh, Jason Priestley. Oh. Brandon. Okay, I had Luke Perry on my a poster on my wall oh, as a kid. Oh no, Brandon, all the way. Okay, well, you know, he's the mediator. We could, we could. Are you a middle child, Michelle? No, I'm not. I'm the eldest. Oh, okay. I'm an eldest as well. I liked Brandon as well. And you always forget that Brandon and Brenda were were twins, twins brother right? and sister. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 They look nothing alike. <laughs> no. Oh, always like when <laughs> Terrible people casting. Terrible. <laughs> Brett, Brett McGarry has a twin sister also, and he used to love when people would ask, "So, are you guys identical?" Uh, no. We're no. boy and girl. Uh, virtually impossible. So, Michelle, uh, exciting times for Valor FC. Uh, tell us what's happening at IG Field tonight. 
Yeah, big uh, leg two of our Canadian Championship game against uh, the HFX Wanderers, a team from Halifax, where we were last week uh, playing them. Uh, and this is really uh, a great tournament. And, you know, kind of with the Women's World Cup going on right now, people feeling maybe a little bit more patriotic. How much more patriotic than can you get tonight than coming to a Canadian Championship match uh, 7.30 at IG Field? So it's a two-leg, two-leg affair. People that follow soccer are familiar with the term aggregate. So we lost the first game 2-1, but we did score an away goal, which is very important in this competition. So that sort of counts as extra. So if we win uh, 1-0 tonight, 2-0 tonight, even though the score may be tied or we because we got that away goal, as long as we keep them off the score sheet, we're looking really good. And we also want to avoid penalties because if uh, if we win 2-1 tonight, maybe that, that means we win the game, but we'd have to go to penalties because the away goals would be even there and we'd be tied on aggregate. So it sounds confusing, but really it's not. Well, for the uninitiated, I was telling uh, listeners earlier that Cam Portress, huge uh, Valor fan, huge soccer fan, he was mm. trying to explain to me the whole system yesterday. And once he did, I got it. And what I really thought was neat, if you're not a, soccer, a huge soccer fan, but you're trying to be, or you're getting involved with this team, what sounds cool to me is the idea that it's not just about the season and getting to the end in that championship. There's an, also this opportunity along the way to get to the CONCACAF. Am I saying that right? CONCACAF? Yes, you are. CONCACAF. And, yep. and, and, and it's almost like mini playoffs or, you know, having this uh, additional excitement added to the league. So if you win these games, you have a chance to also go all the way in that tournament. Yeah, which is an even bigger tournament because uh, the winner, they'll take home the Voyager's Cup, which is the name of the trophy, and uh, they will move on into the CONCACAF uh, Champions League, which is huge tournament. So, and the nice thing about this, because it really is truly Canadian, all these clubs, and now that the Canadian Premier League has entered this competition, it's bigger. Before, it just used to be uh, Ottawa uh, in the USL and the MLS teams and uh, Edmonton, FC Edmonton was it in, in their prior life. So now... You know, we're we're playing Halifax, which of course is in the same league as us, but the other teams that have already advanced had played, uh, you know, teams in League One Ontario, for example. So the winner of our series against Halifax will move on to play Ottawa, which is in the USL, and then the winner between uh, in that series will go on to play Toronto FC, which of course a lot of people are familiar with. So it is it is true Canadiana, and we, we're just really hoping for a good crowd tonight. I mean, Halifax didn't have the best crowd last week, but I tell you, when they got that goal and that, you know, they like to refer to fans as the 12th man got behind them. That really motivates the players and that's what we're hoping for tonight. So the, the season that Toronto FC won the MLS championship, they also won this CONCACAF Champions League, correct? Mm-hmm. So yeah, they went all the way to the final. I don't... I, did they not... They, they didn't win necessarily? It, but they went all the way to uh, play a Mexican team, I believe it was, in the in the final, yeah. Yeah, so that, that, that sounds awfully familiar, mm-hmm. Michelle. So um, we're learning a variety of these new terminologies uh, with regards to having soccer or footy in town. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the whole idea of a shutout. That, that's a that's a clean sheet, right? Yes. If we're yes. keeping up. And then the other thing is uh, we'll reference the Canadian Football League standings, but in the CPL, we're supposed to call it the table. Is that yes. right? 
Yeah, it's that is more of a football thing. It's the table. Um, you know, as the league grows, it, it might change, and we might end up having a, they might be splitting it into two, like a East and a West, sort of like the CFL model, maybe. But we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you know how that grows. We're hoping for a couple new teams to enter for 2020, so we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. But yeah, we still call it the standings, but a lot of people do refer to it as the table. When it comes to the what you have been seeing, I've been hearing great feedback for anyone who's gone to the games. Mm-hmm. What have you noticed in the terms of the crowds and how they're really embracing this team when it comes to just even some of the chants that might be coming along or the mm-hmm. music that gets played? Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to our uh, number one supporters group, and that's Red River Rising. Uh, we met with them prior to the season even beginning and, uh, you know, kind of worked with them and tried to help them get, uh, you know, more people to join their group. And they have been, uh, well, they've exceeded all our expectations as far as uh, the, the energy that they bring to games. And if you have been to a game or if you haven't, they're the ones that sit in the north end zone and they're an entire section and they'll be standing and cheering and singing the entire game. So we're working with them because I know we've heard people that have come to the games and they say, wow, I love that song, but I don't know what they're saying. So we're working to get words to songs on the video board so everybody can join in and, you know, they'll do certain songs at certain times of the game. So it's all very, some of it starts organically, but some of it is pre-planned. So uh, it is like no other sporting event that you've seen. I mean, a lot of people that have been to, you know, football and hockey games, the crowds are what the crowds are, but soccer is a is a completely different environment and you know people will see a few different uh, things at the game tonight because it is a Canada soccer run match this isn't a league run match so it's you know official Canada soccer event so the banners are different and the entrance the players will come on to is a little bit different so we're just really hoping it's a beautiful day today it's 7 30 and you know there's still lots of great tickets left and the players would all love to see you out here and supporting them tonight and I can keep a track of the uh, Stanley Cup final game seven as well yes yes that's right that's that's also happening tonight. So I don't know if uh, it's better that we've got hockey or, or Raptors that we had to go up against. So I guess it's, it's okay. We'll take the hockey. You know, we've got technology. We, we will definitely be able to keep up That's to right. what's going on in Boston. Yes, for sure. Before we let you go, Michelle, you weighed in on 90210 for us. So I have to ask you this. Clay Young wants me to join him tomorrow morning <laughs> at the Red River X to get on oh. the slingshot. Oh. Where it's, it's literally a slingshot for humans and it shoots us into the air at like mock... I don't know, two or something. Yes or no? Don't make up uh, a lock. I would say 100% no. Mm-hmm. Anything that is called a slingshot that involves a human being placed in it and being whatever. Slingshot into the air. So, but so yeah, now it I sounds just, like you're saying you don't think I can handle it. Yeah, well, no, no, Michelle. Michelle. Oh, she doesn't. No, I want to jump in here. <laughs> yeah. Michelle, this wasn't whether you should do it. No, she knows. It's whether or not Loren should do she it. She knows, and she's basically calling me out. She's saying well, you can't do it, McNabb. I don't now know if you I want to do like show by yourself the rest of the week. She, you know, this may put her out for some time. Well, I, I said to Clay, I coincidentally have a doctor's appointment tomorrow <laughs> afternoon, so I'm all lined up just in case. So you're good just in case. Preventative medicine. <laughs> Michelle Lissell, Valor FC, doing great things in the community. Good luck tonight, and uh, we look you. forward to a positive result, as they might say. Thanks so much. You betcha. Thanks, guys, for having me. Tonight at IG Field, it is uh, the HFX, or Halifax Wanderers, versus Valor FC, as uh, they try to take the uh, next step in uh, the Champions League of North America.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.